I was going to ask the question, are any of you tired from springing forward one hour? But clearly, uh, quite a few of you are. Um, I definitely woke up feeling like I needed an IV of just caffeine for the rest of this day. So uh, maybe to kind of spark a little bit of energy, please turn to someone you don't know or someone maybe you haven't chatted to in a while and just tell them one thing you're looking forward to about the snow being gone and with spring and summer approaching, all right? Just take a, take a few seconds right now to do that. All right, I'll, I'll rein us back in here. So uh, I am definitely looking forward to uh, the snow clearing. Um, my, uh, my daughter at the moment, she's, she hasn't quite learned how to walk yet. She's crawling a lot. She's able to pull herself up. But I'm really looking forward to the fact that we can just be outside again and being able to, we have like this lovely, incredible, there's this basketball court, which is always my favorite thing, but we have this, uh, this great little playground, and I'm just so looking forward to taking my little daughter down the slide, and uh, we definitely have done that at the new pool for swimming lessons, and she just loves this massive grin, so, so looking forward to that. Um, if you notice me like looking back constantly at the screen, it's just because we have some technical difficulties with the screen back there, so I want to make sure that you guys are able to see what I'm hoping you can see with the, with the clicker here. But, uh, my name is Nolan Hansen. Um, as uh, Pastor Robin said, uh, I'm a church planter uh, with, alongside with my wife in the MCC apartments, and in particular in Pine Glen. Um, and so today, uh, myself and, and Pastor Ryan are, are focusing on a new sermon series called Church? And so we're looking at uh, four distinct issues uh, and we can even label them as temptations that the Western church, or churches like ours, can fall into if we're not careful. And so uh, the structure for this actually comes from a book called Once You See by Jeff Christofferson. So the terminology that we're taking uh, is actually from his book. Um, but it's creating this loose structure for what we feel is an important encouragement as we move forward as uh, the body of Christ. And so last week, if you didn't get the opportunity, Pastor Ryan covered uh, the topic of presentationalism. And so quite simply, it, while he, he took us through more of a negative side of it what, it, what it doesn't mean to be the church. And so presentationalism, in other words, is, you know, the church is not a building. We lose this building today. We don't cease being the church of Westwood. It's not about a particular day of the week. You know, we might choose to come and gather and worship on a Sunday morning, but it doesn't remain so, right? Church isn't just dedicated to one day of the week. It's not about what happens inside a building like this one. It's not about how good or, or bad, and usually it's very good, you know, the singing and the worship is. It's not how good or bad the sermon is. But in other words, it's about being the people of God who have adopted the heart of God to go and partner with him in the restorative work of the kingdom. And so, yeah, if you have not had a chance to listen to his sermon, please go to our website and, uh, and check it out. But today I'm covering 
the second part, which is philosophicalism. So I'll, I'll break that down because it sounds like a very uh, big term, but philosophicalism has everything to do with our posture surrounding God's Word, the Bible. It has everything to do with how we approach and interact with the Scriptures. And so let me first state what it is not. Philosophicalism, if we're not careful, means that we approach the Scriptures as if it's some sort of glorified textbook, where when we approach it, we either read it for the purpose of gaining Bible knowledge, uh, or we read it hoping to, to kind of reap some sort of benefit that we are looking to utilize for our own sake. And the ultimate problem is it becomes about doctrine and theology that never really escapes the intellectual mind and enters into a life of practical living. So what do I mean by that? So a very simple uh, way to engage this actually has to do with how we define uh, certain words. So for example, uh, just like I put up on the screen, the word belief in the English dictionary is actually classified as a noun. So it's, a, it's an idea or an abstract concept. And so, for example, if I were to go around and say that I have a belief that Jesus is the Son of God, then according to our English dictionary, that just means this is Nolan's worldview or his philosophy. And therefore, if people were to ask me, well, why do you have this belief in Jesus as the Son of God, we enter into like a whole realm of rational thinking and explanation. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But we need to look at what does belief mean from a biblical perspective. And belief in the Bible is always classified as a verb. It's not a noun. It's active. It's participatory. It uh, is lived out. And so by that same hypothetical that I just gave you, if I were to say that I have a belief that Jesus is the Son of God, rather than you trusting what I say, you could tell by the way I live, that I have a belief that Jesus is the Son of God. According to the scriptures, how one lives their life reveals what one truly believes. And so, for today's passage, I could think of no uh, better way to engage uh, on this topic than in the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles, whether it uh, be in paper format or on your phone, um, please turn to James chapter 1. Uh, I will not have any slides with the verses on them, so if you don't have any Bibles, maybe you can uh, try and get one or, or share with someone beside you, or you can just simply listen as I read. But we are going to be covering uh, James chapter 1, starting in verse 19 uh, and going uh, to the end of the chapter, because it is very practical in regards to this topic. Now, if you just bear with me, just a slight bit of background that I think will be very helpful for us in really diving deep. First and foremost, uh, the author, James, is the younger brother of Jesus. He is, the, he is the leader or a leader within the churches in Jerusalem, and he is writing predominantly to a Jewish audience. Now, that's a small tidbit, but it's going to be important later on. But while he is addressing a Jewish audience, the context we find ourselves in is that the Jewish uh, believers are having a hard time because they are undergoing all kinds of suffering and testing and persecution. Uh, some are having their wages withheld. 
others who are lower in the socioeconomic status, when they enter to the temple to try and receive some food, they're actually being overlooked. And in some more extreme cases, we're seeing imprisonment and uh, death itself. And so this is the context that James enters into. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, you can please join me uh, in verse 19. So he states, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So these first two verses give us a little bit further context. And obviously, when you're undergoing testing or suffering or trial or any kind of persecution, human anger is a very natural response. Out of the plethora of emotions, human anger is a very natural response towards those that are persecuting you. However, he goes on, and this is where we really get into it. Verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So, right here we see that James is seeking to instruct his brothers and sisters on two things. One, getting rid of the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, which in this case is anger, human anger that does not produce the righteousness of God. And instead, they are to accept humbly, meekly, with, with a slight tremble and fear, the acceptance of the word planted in them. And so one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, what is this word? What is the word that James is referring to here? Well, in many popularized um, Christian circles, we hear the term the word, and we automatically think, well, it's the Bible, it's God's word. But that would be incorrect in this case. Maybe more well-meaning uh, brothers and sisters in Christ would say, well, it's, it's clearly got to be the gospel, which you could make an argument for, but actually this is also incorrect. Remember, he is speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience. And so when we think about the context of the audience, the word is actually in reference and a synonym for the law or the Torah. It is the law of Moses. But in this case with James, it's not just the Torah, but the Torah as interpreted by Jesus himself. So let me unpack that. We notice that in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew uh, chapters 5 to 7, or say the Sermon on the Plain, Luke 6, or some of the other bigger discourses and teachings of Jesus, uh, some of us think that, well, Moses was given the law, and then Jesus comes along, and he actually just gets rid of the entire law and comes up with his own teaching. But that is actually not correct. In fact, during the time of Jesus, every Pharisee, almost every Pharisee and religious leader had their own interpretation of what the law of Moses said. And so when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is actually giving the true interpretation of what the law means, of what it entails, and what it means to be the people of God. And so, for example, in, in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus uh, talks about the issue of uh, murder, for example, you shall not murder, which comes from the law of Moses, he actually gives us the true interpretation that any single one of us that looks upon someone else in anger has broken that commandment. He gets to the very heart of the issue of murder, which is very fitting for what James himself is saying here. So as we go forward, when we see um, the word and its synonym, 
the perfect law. It is in reference to the teachings of Jesus. I just realized. Oh, hey, thank you. You're awesome. Thanks. Um, let's go onward. So, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Verse 22, if you want to know what the heart of of the book of James is all about, it's right there. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says. There's not much to unpack there. It's very clear. It's what breaks philosophicalism, is that we are not to be just mere hearers of the word, we are to be people who live it out. Now, in case there's any one of us that uh, might be thinking this way, I want to just clarify one thing. James is not creating a hierarchy. He's not saying, well, here's the doers, you know, you guys are way up here. Here's the, here's the listeners, you guys are, you know, medium range, and here's the people who don't do anything. That's not what he's saying at all. He's actually showing the proper balance of a life with Jesus. The proper balance the church is meant to live out. You need to first hear the word and be a listener of the word. You need to be in the scriptures. And then we need to be doers of it. That is the balance that creates a life with Jesus. And so let me just ask a very simple question. First and foremost, are you a hearer of the word? Are you a listener of the word? Where are you at in terms of your own personal interaction with God's written revelation? See, James makes the assumption that those who are hearing this or reading this, that you are in the word already, that you have the word planted in you. And for the Jewish people, many of them would know uh, many of the basics of the commandments. And some of the more, uh, like, more top-notch elite religious leaders, they would know and have memorized all five books of the Torah, so they knew quite well the scriptures. In our increasingly biblically illiterate time in Canada, especially with our younger generations, we are seeing less and less and less people having a familiarity with the scriptures. Where are you in that? One of my favorite things uh, as an educational assistant and soon to be a teacher at Cedars Christian School is the amount of questions that people come to me, that these students come to me and gift me uh, with the opportunity to answer, and it's a real gift for me. But I kid you not, probably 80% of those questions would be easily resolved if they just merely read what the Bible said. And so number one, where are you in that? Number two, and this is what breaks philosophicalism, is it does not remain head knowledge, but it gets to the heart to the point that we not just read the Bible, but we live the Bible out. Now, if that wasn't enough, James paints this amazing uh, image. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So the scriptures are often, uh, sometimes, especially in the Psalms, described as a mirror, that when we read and pour ourselves into the word of God, it reflects back every part of who we are. It shows us all of who we are. And so, much like someone who looks at himself in a mirror or herself in a mirror and sees maybe, you know, something about their physical appearance that's just off, rather than correcting that, 
He's saying that someone who simply listens to the word but doesn't do anything about it is someone who, like, you know, shows up with a messed up head of hair and rather than fixing it, just goes about their day. Or maybe there's, you know, something, something apart of their physical appearance that's off, but you just choose to ignore it and go about your day. That's what, he, that's what he's getting at. If, if we simply just hear the word, then we simply do not care about those elements of who we are that need to be corrected. And that's part of the scriptures, that it paints and makes very transparent where we fall short. And yet, he has a contrast. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that does not restrict, but gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Whoever looks intently, that word intently is a word picture, actually, It describes someone who is like hunched over, bent over, looking into a pit, looking intently for treasure. And he says, doing so continuously. So there's this constant intention in looking into the scriptures. And they'll be blessed in what they do. I'll tell you right now, what this means is it's actually a a present blessing. It's not about the blessing of salvation that comes at the point of conversion. And it's not just about the blessing of salvation that comes when Christ returns and creates the new heaven and the new earth. But it's a blessing here and now that we become like Jesus himself. We get to experience and taste and enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. Now, for some of us, that's super exciting. And for others, it's maybe like, oh, really? That's the blessing? Hmm. But the truth is, is how many of us could really use the peace of God right now in our lives? How many of us have had so many sleepless nights and stress and you try to close your eyes but you have nothing but this internal busyness and strife? How how many of us could just use that peace? How many of us could use the true joy of the Lord that does not and is not affected by our external circumstances, but is something deep in here that you constantly have despite what you are going through? How many of us could really use joy right now? How many of us could just really appreciate the Sabbath rest of God himself, being able to just release all these burdens, anxieties, and just allow us to be free in him? That is a blessing, and that is the blessing that comes when we seek to do what Jesus has taught us to do. He goes on to say, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So if any one of us, whether you come on a Sunday morning like this one to hear a sermon, uh, and maybe you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but then you go, and rather than doing what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, you simply just forget about it for the rest of the week. I know I've totally done that before. Or maybe more accurately, when you're reading the word itself, and maybe you just sense that the Spirit is saying, hey, you need to stop doing this in your life. This is some moral filth you need to get rid of. Or you need to take on this. I'm calling you and inviting you into this, and yet you go about just ignoring it. That is what he is saying. That is deception. That is not true religion, but it is religion that is worthless. But here's what he says in verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. One of the classes I'm currently in as an educational assistant is uh, career life uh, education. Or in the public school it would just be planning 10. 
And at Cedars, we covered a, a movie over the past two days called Mully. Has anyone seen that? Mully came out in 2021. It's, a, it's a, based on a true story. It's about a man, uh, a man from Kenya who grew up in poor circumstances and one day wakes up and his parents and his family have left them. He's just completely abandoned. And so he wanders around into this church and in this church he hears, uh, the only thing he takes away from, from the sermon is that nothing is impossible with God. It's the only thing he takes away. And so he wanders to the closest city, which takes three days to get there, the city of Nairobi. And while he's there, he's constantly like, knocking on doors and finally someone is willing to help him out. Gone from a street kid to finally someone welcomes him, gives him a part-time job, all this kind of stuff. And the crazy part is this man, remembering what he had learned in that, in that sermon, ends up not only getting a job and getting some of his basic needs met, but he actually becomes the owner of his own business to eventually becoming a multimillionaire. And now his wife, his family, they have everything that money could afford. And what's incredible is one day God tells them through prayer, get into your car and drive down those same streets that you once wandered. And so he goes and he does it. And he's seeing kid after kid after kid, just like him, abandoned, left alone, no one to care for them. And God calls him and says, you are to leave your business and you are to welcome these children as your own. And he literally says in the movie that he takes four hours, prays and wrestles with God for four hours. Like, God, why? But God's not changing his mind. And so what he does is he, he backs out of the business. He sells off a lot of stuff. He goes and he sells all his luxurious houses and cars. And he goes and he purchases, uh, purchases this massive home with tons of bunk beds in it. And what he does is he gets tons of food. And he drives back onto the streets. And he starts offering food to all these kids. And he starts to bring them into his home, adopting them as their own. And he tells each and every one of them that he brings in, he said, you are no longer going to be labeled a street kid. You are now part of my family. And all of these other boys and girls, they are your brothers and sisters now. And what's incredible is, is he's bringing these kids into the church that he's attending. He's bringing all these kids in. And I'm not talking like 10 or 20. Like we're talking like multiple hundreds of kids. Like this guy is just bringing in and accepting everyone because he believes he's made this covenant with God. And yet this part absolutely broke my heart. After one particular Sunday, the church leader, the elders, and some of the other members of the church approached him and said, you got to stop doing this. This is a holy place for holy people, and these are dirty street kids. And he said, I can't. I have made a covenant with God. I cannot stop doing this. This is what he's called me to do. So they kick him out, him and his family. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I felt convicted when I was watching that because sometimes I wonder, if God were to call me to do that, would I actually be obedient and go and do it? Or would I choose to just forget about it and so deceive myself as thinking I'm religious because I've heard the word? Or moreover, would I end up being much like um, the church leader and the elders that rejected a man like that because he was simply willing to open up his home and his family to these kids. Which, by the way, you can still look up today. He's still doing it. He's got multiple thousands. It's crazy. 
So what are we to do? How are we to properly interact with the scriptures and not fall into philosophicalism? Well, in a word, it's the word meditate. When I was in preparation for this, I felt the Holy Spirit ask me a question. Nolan, I want you to look up what is the most common word used for personal interaction with the Bible. And so in my head, as someone who loves to read the Bible, I knew that there was multiple words. And so I go first and foremost to a concordance, and I see and I look up the word read, which is, it's like, there's, it's everywhere. The word read is absolutely everywhere in the scriptures. But I discovered, to my surprise, that 90% of those cases, maybe even a little more, 90% of those cases, the context is one of someone reading the scriptures to other people. Like, like Moses when he's reading the law out to Israel, or Joshua reading, uh, rereading the law out to the people. Or, for example, with uh, the Ethiopian reading the scroll of Isaiah to Philip who's running alongside him. So I was like, okay, it's not the word read. So what is the most common way that personal interaction in the scriptures was the most common word? Well, it turns out it's not the word study, it's the word meditate. Now, I recognize in the West here, uh, meditate has a different connotation. We've kind of borrowed it from Eastern mysticism or Buddhism. And so from that influence, we get this idea of like we need to empty ourselves of everything. A very Buddhist thought process, we need to empty ourselves of all desire. That is not biblical meditation. And in fact, biblical meditation is the exact opposite. It's a filling. It's a filling of who God is and God's word. And so the, the, the literal translation is, is to mutter. It, it's a word picture, again, of one muttering over and over to oneself the truth of God's scripture. Much like, if I can use this imagery, much like a cow chewing cud. It's slow, right? It takes a long time. It's not being consumed in copious amounts. And yet, every bit of nutrients is being reaped in that moment of chewing cud. Much like how we are to engage in the scriptures. And so for today, I wanted to lead us, lead all of us, through a very simple practice that I've taught before, but not at this scale. So I pray that you would just bear with me. But if you have your Bibles, could you please turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And the passage we're going to be reading is going to be in verses 15 all the way to 25. And so this practice is an is a ancient practice from the way of Jesus. Uh, in Latin, it's called Lectio Divina, which is just divine reading. And it's a very slow, four-step prayerful process in which we engage with the scriptures. All right? Number one, we simply read it. We read it twice. Once to get a sense of the passage, and the second, we prayerfully go through it. Two, we meditate. As we read it a second time, you might notice that a word jumps out to you or a phrase or an image, and we meditate and we fixate our attention to that. Three, pray. We invite God, Lord, are you showing me something in this? Is there something about this word, this verse, this image that, that you want me to see or understand? And four, I just use the word incarnate. We ask God, are you inviting me to do something? So, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me, starting in verse 15. But allow me to go through this with you. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. 
First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that God, no, sorry, full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So allow me to read this one more time, and this time, if there's any word, phrase, or image that comes to mind, allow it to just enter into your mind. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if there was any word phrase or image that came to mind, just take a few seconds in prayer to just ask, Lord, God, are you, are you wanting to show me something? Take a few seconds now. And finally, if God has given you a word or, or an image or a verse here, and if he hasn't, that's okay. Um, on your own time, you can seek to end your time of prayer by asking him, Lord, what are you inviting me into? But allow me to do that for us today. Holy Father, we praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, that through his death and resurrection, you have raised us to new life, and that we are no longer a slave to sin, but we are participants in becoming a new humanity altogether. God, I thank you for each person here and for anyone who is watching. God, would you speak, as you have always done, to each and every one of their hearts and help us to not just be mere hearers of the word, but doers as well. God, would you lead us into the restorative process 
of seeing your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is always done in heaven. I thank you for those, for those of us here, Lord, that needed to hear this. And I thank you for those, Lord, um, who have been doing this and putting this into practice already. Lord, we have much to learn from them. May your blessing be upon them all. In your name, Jesus, amen.